This is an AMI podcast. Welcome to the Triple Vision podcast, your window into the past, present, and future of blindness in Canada. This podcast has been made possible by a generous contribution from T-Base Communications and the support of the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. The mission of Triple Vision is to gather and document previously untold Canadian blindness narratives, one lived experience at a time, and to make our history accessible and universally known. Hello, welcome to Triple Vision. I'm David Best, your Triple Vision host, bringing you a glimpse into the history of blindness in Canada. In this podcast, we're shifting our focus to education. So we have Peter and Hannah, who has brought us some interviews. So guys, what have you got for us today? Hi, David. So today we have for you two guests from different schools for the blind in Montreal, Quebec. Our first guest is Chantal Oakes, who had an interesting education in that she started out at a French-speaking school for the blind in Montreal called Institut Nazareth. And after we hear from her, we're going to be hearing from Leo Bissonnette, who is from Montreal, and he attended the Montreal Association School for the Blind, which was the English-speaking school for the blind in Montreal. So welcome to the show, Chantal. Thank you for having me. So can you tell us a little bit about when you started the Institute and and how you came to to be at that school? Yes, from what I understood at the time and as a child of six, that was the only school that could educate blind children. And I lived about an hour away uh, from Montreal at the time in in a little town called St. Jerome. So in order for me to be able to go to school, it was too far away to be coming home um, every week, uh, certainly not every day. At the age of six, I started my education in grade one. Kindergarten was not mandatory at that time. And so away I went with my big trunk packed with all my things and uh, my um, family left me there and basically would have said to me, in a month, you'll come home for a visit for the weekend. But the dorms were sort of split into three categories. So the smaller girls, and that would be, I would say, grade one to probably, um, I would say at least five. And then you went to the medium dorm, so grade five or six on to probably nine, and I believe 10 and 11 would have been the older girls who would have been a little more segregated from us with a little more freedom and not so much supervision. To my re- the best of my recollection, uh, there were 35 of us in the dorm where the small girls were. Right, so about 35 girls, all between grades, say, one and four and five. And, you know, many of them, like you, away from the home from the first for the first time, did you make friends? Did, did the girls kind of support each other? How was, how was that for you arriving at the school, your family dropping you off and, and likely needing to make friends to get some kind of support from your, your peers there? You know, I, I don't have a lot of bad memories about that. I remember a lot of girls were very sad. There was a lot of crying, a lot of mm-hmm. tears. Mm-hmm. But for me, from what I remember, 
I guess, you know, you do as you're told, this is what has to happen. And um, I, I was likely very sad, but I quickly made friends. I think I've always mm-hmm. been a very socially active person right from the get-go. And uh, I don't recall having terrible memories about having been left um, as a young child in, in a very, very unfamiliar environment. So where were the, the, the boy students? We would have had another dorm for them. And uh, just to um, be clear, they only stayed at the institute until they had to go to grade six. Then they were transferred to Louis Braille School. Yeah, that's kind of the interesting thing about that I learned about the schools in Quebec. There's kind of two elements to them. There's there's a religious component, so there's, uh, you know, Protestant Catholic, and then there's a language component of English or French. Like like all curriculum, education, you know, we were in a position to learn English like you would French in the school here. And um, so... I came, you know, once I I had to move away from there, I came away thinking I knew a lot of the English language. I was a good, I was an A student, so I thought I knew it all, or at least enough to get by, but I quickly realized that I didn't. Yeah, it's my understanding that the grade, the order of the grade nuns were the um, main factor in the the school. Grade nuns were, they were um, mostly supervisors outside of the the um, school time. There were a few that did teach. Otherwise, there were other teachers. So the, the courses that you took in your education at Nazareth were your typical school courses. I'm assuming you learned Braille as well. I don't really think it was a choice. I think that once um, you know, settled in grade one, they started teaching us Braille. So um, it was definitely uh, something that we learned from very early on in our education. They taught everything from music to life skills, such as in the kitchen, uh, sewing, knitting. From the age of seven, I remember starting all of those things. And it was it was good because it occupied your time um, and it, it just taught you about what life was going to be. All, the, all these things you would learn how to do. The curriculum was much the same as what they would teach in any other school. The languages, the math, history, catechism, of course, because we were in a convent. And it, it offered everything that other students would learn. Um, mm-hmm. I left when I was in grade eight, which was 1973. It was an abrupt leave because my parents decided we needed to move from Quebec to British Columbia and uh, after Christmas, and it was done fairly quickly. So did you feel like by the time you left and and moved to BC, it sounds like you had a pretty sound grasp of the fundamentals in your education? I most certainly did, yes. I was very happy with my education. And as I look back today, I wished I had been able to or, or been allowed to finish my education back east because it was superior to what I received anywhere else after that. Now tell us more about that, Chantal, because you went from uh, Institute Nazareth to Jericho Hill. Um, how has that changed for you and what kind of differences did you notice between the two schools? Well, let's remember that when I 
made the transfer to the transition to Jericho Hill School was a huge event for me because I couldn't speak the language. Mm-hmm. And I knew a few words, but they certainly didn't help enough. It took me about three months before I could understand a little more. And then if I were to answer what you asked, uh, a question that you asked, I would likely say it wrong, but you would at least be able to understand me. Of course, I always found that the life skills um, courses such as home ec or even PE or anything like that, music, I could stand my ground. But um, as far as everyone sitting in the classroom and listening to the teacher talk and and read and, you know, try to teach a lesson, I was so lost for the rest of that year. When I went back to Jericho the following year, I quickly realized that the education, and I'm sorry to say, but I I had something to compare it to, and uh, it definitely lacked a lot of discipline, a lot of just the way that they taught was so very different. And uh, also, I noticed when I was at Jericho that there were a few students there that didn't know Braille. So they struggled to read with magnifiers and how I have to imagine that that would have held them back some. So how long were you at Jericho then? From April 73 to June, then I went back for one more year. After that, uh, then I went to public school for grades 10, 11, and 12. We lived in Surrey at the time, so I moved back to my hometown. And then um, that's, you know, I went to a school there. When I was at Jericho, I was a student who would go home once a week. Chantal, how well do you feel your education? I think we'll just talk about all of your education because now you've got three different places where you went to school, uh, Montreal, uh, um, Vancouver, and then Surrey. Um, how well do you feel your education uh, prepared you for the work world and, and, and life in general? I know that's a difficult question, but... What What's your summation of that? I feel cheated a little bit. And I've mm. thought about this for a long time mm-hmm. because um, had I stayed at Jericho to finish if they had remained open, but I came right at the time when I feel that they were definitely very uh, prepared to send the, the students into mainstream. Mm-hmm. And um, I thought I was happy about that because who wouldn't want that? You get to go to school, walk there every day, every morning, and then you get to come home in the afternoon. Um, but I feel very cheated because although we were promised, or at least I was promised an itinerant teacher is what they called them in the day to help me if I needed help and, and uh, some support with, in those days, the Braille wasn't very um uh, well used. It was still reel-to-reel tapes and cassettes, mm-hmm. and, and if you got Braille, it was because it had been ordered on time and hopefully available to you, but that did not happen for me. I struggled a lot to read the material that was given to other students, and more often than not, I didn't get it, and that made me having... it was me having to rely on other students to read to me, which no one really wanted to do. So during the class time at school for those three grades, I met very few teachers who were interested in taking the time or even 
knew how to deal with a student who couldn't see. Although I, I graduated with a dogwood, I graduated with a, a B average. I'm not sure how I got it. Um, I managed to get good enough marks there, but it, it was a struggle. And as I said, I feel really cheated that I don't think I got the education I really needed. So I had to work hard to make up for that in my own personal life to be able to get out into the work world after school ended. So Chantel, where were you at sort of in terms of being a visually impaired person throughout that education and employment experience? Did you have peer support from other blind people? Did you keep in touch with them? Like, did you feel you had some support? I did because when I started in Quantum College, when I realized I needed more education in order to make my way, I um, needed someone to read books that you know wouldn't get there on time for me. I, they couldn't get the, the Braille or the, the tapes. I needed someone to uh, maybe write out some things. I, I mean, I had a typewriter. I knew how to do all of that, but there was, I, I needed some help. I needed someone to support me while I entered the college system. So um, a nice lady was hired to be a tutor, we called it, and anything I needed from her, she would um, help me with. And I, I kept in touch with a lot of the blind community, um, primarily because during the summers, when I wasn't going to school between 85 and 87, I worked at um, Bowen Island, which was the lodge that CNIB owned for um, you know, summer vacations for blind folk. So I met a lot of blind people there and I, I kept in touch, you know, to have a circle of friends around me who understood. Yes, because I certainly didn't make any friends in high school. Well, thanks for sharing your experiences at, at the Institute Nazareth and, and also in BC at Jericho Hill School Chantel. Welcome to Triple Vision, Leo. Thank you very much for joining us today. So if you want to, could you tell us a little bit about your experience entering the school? And we have different names for this school. I've heard from some students that back in the early days, they used to call it the Montreal Association School for the Blind. And then it became the Philip E. Layton School for the Blind. Well, that is indeed right. In fact, uh, as we discovered last week, uh, when we had uh, one of the directors Paul Garrow of the Montreal Association for the Blind. The name for the school, Montreal Association School for the Blind, actually still appears in the original documents that are filed with Quebec. The name of Philip E. Layton was more used after the Protestant School Board of Greater Montreal assumed responsibility for what they referred to as social affairs schools, that is, schools for people with special needs. And Philip E. Layton was the name given to the school from the PSBGM perspective. But again, historically in the documents, as Paul Garrell pointed out, the name is still there as the Montreal Association School for the Blind. Now, in terms of my own experience, I went to the school between 1958 and 1966. For the most part, I did not board at the school. It was a residential school that 
provided support for people to come and stay and live in the school and people from uh, the outskirts of Montreal and even into Ontario uh, came to the school. So there was a residence. I went home at nights. It was only a period of two years where uh, I stayed in, in a boarding situation because my parents had bought a small farm. And after my father died, we came back. My mother sold the farm and we came back and I resumed uh, going home at nights. I started off in what they referred to as sight-saving classes where I was using a large print. But by the time I hit grade three, it was decided that uh, Braille would be the best medium for me to work in, study in. And uh, indeed, in retrospect, it was a very positive move because certainly my vision changed over the years. And I was very productive in Braille. Uh, elementary school in Quebec went from grades one to seven with uh, the kindergarten year prior to that. Uh, that changed later when uh, elementary school went to grade six and high school changed from seven to, through 11. You know, I had the basic, I guess, the standard curriculum and by 1966 left to go to Loyola High School, a private Jesuit high school for my high school days. So when you were at uh at the Montreal School, what kind of skills besides Braille did you learn to, to help you in your uh, later education? Well, the big school, and I again, uh, I credit my mother. My mother was uh, made a decision because uh, she wanted me to have a regular integrated education for high school and beyond. She felt uh, that typing was an essential skill. She felt that it wasn't being properly taught, if at all. She found this typing teacher. He was the principal of Graham's business, business College, and he came in on a Thursday afternoon for a couple of years and got us a few of us typing. And, uh, you know, touch typing was really quite a, a lifelong skill. The other thing that my mother did, and there was one teacher who was an American uh, who knew a little bit more about recordings for the blind, uh, incorporated as it was known at the time. Now it's... Uh, reading ally services. Through this contact, my mother eventually found out that there were all kinds of books on open reel tapes at the time. And when I hit high school, she was she ordered the catalogs and she helped me find the books that if they were there. And uh, she also recruited friends to uh, and relatives to record. And she herself and a couple of other uh, people in the family uh, learned Braille. Leo, I'm curious, as we've sort of talked about the education system in Quebec, we know there were three different um, schools. There was the Institut uh, Nazareth, there was the Louis Braille School, which of course uh, joined together one point, and then the Montreal School that we're talking about now. Did you Were you aware of the other two schools? It must have been difficult if you were going there as a day student, but was there any connection between those schools, between you and other people? What what do you know about those other two schools? And did you have any connection with them? The only connection that I had was when there was a transfer student who came to the MAB school for one term and then mm. went back. You know, he shared a few experiences that he'd had, but right. there was no formal activities between us. And to say that I even know the history of the French schools, Institute Nazareth and Louis Braille, no, no, I, I don't have that until yeah. much later in life. So there was no interaction between us for any uh, activities or programs. So tell us about getting into Loyola. What was that like in terms of a tr transition? Did you feel prepared for that? 
Well, I think because my mother was so determined that I would be ready. Uh, Loyola High School, Loyola College High School was a private Jesuit high school. Mm. And in order to get in there, you had to write exams. There were entrance exams. And Loyola basically said, fine, write the entrance exams. Understand that if you pass, you pass. Uh, you're, it's competitive. I did get in. They, they certainly were supportive in getting the exam put into Braille. I passed, and uh, I was sent the standard letter of acceptance. And when uh, my mother followed up with the principal to get the book list and so forth going, he said, you know, I hope you realize that uh, after the first year, if Leo fails, uh, like any other student, you don't get a second chance to come back. And my mother tells the story in later years. She said, I turned around and told him, I'll see you at graduation. <laughs> and four years later, <laughs> we were standing there on the lawn at Loyola after the graduation ceremony. She spotted him and she said, he made it. And that was the determination she had. Uh, and I guess in, in, in many ways, that skill of advocacy stayed with me. Um, she would engage with you and, and, you know, okay, let's talk about the pros, the cons, your concerns. Let's talk about how we solve it. So, you know, but to say there were a lot of concessions that the school made other than sort of, well, good luck to you. Uh, yeah. And I, I really, again, credit a very uh, tight knit uh, network of people who gave me supports. So was Montreal, was the Association of the Blind School there, were they supportive in your time at Loyola as well in terms of providing Braille or anything? A little bit. Um, what I needed and I got from one uh, set of volunteers was uh, access to the math curriculum, to the textbooks. They would rail the problems at the end of the chapters to solve. And my mother found me uh, tutors. And actually, as my time went on at the high school, there were several math teachers who stepped up to the plate and offered me tutoring. So when you left Loyola and went to university, did you feel equipped to take on the challenges, the academic challenges? Did you feel you had the skills? Or Oh, yeah. I, I, was, I really embraced university. I, uh, you know, the, somebody told me that my marks would go down. Well, <laughs> I found my niche in, in sociology, uh, and I graduated magna cum laude and went into graduate school. I loved uh, university. That's where I really started to shine. What did you love about it, Leo? Was it the academics? It was the academics. I had great profs. It was a small department at Loyola College, uh, which was just behind the high school. And I became, uh, well, sadly, my, my best man, who was my prof, died a couple of months ago. We stayed friends for mm. over 50 years. And uh, it was just a wonderful relationship where, as a student, he, he mentored me along with his wife. She was a great sociologist, too. And uh, my first teaching positions, uh, I got that through their encouragement and support. And then, well, I, I ended up lecturing part-time. I then took on the bigger job of managing an office for students with disabilities. But I kept my hand in teaching sociology off and on for about 15 years part-time. We had a conversation, or I had a conversation with someone the other day, Leo, who said that they believe that students who went through um, a school for the blind were more successful in their employment search than students who were integrated. Have you noticed that at all? Is that a pattern that you can point to? Any comments about that? That's a harder one to really 
comment on. I, I think what made a difference in my case, thank God somebody had enough sense to, to take me into the Braille stream where I, I developed Braille as a skill. It enabled me to be independent when it came to taking notes, writing. You know, I could before we have the technologies that we have, I had a Braille writer and I would sketch out stuff and then type it up. Mm. But I, I really think uh, having the Braille skill is a key, certainly mm -hmm. for me. But to generalize it, Peter, I'm not sure. Did you, in your, in your role at the university, at the Student Services uh, Center, did you see uh, many visually impaired people? And, and did you have a chance to notice their skill level? Did they struggle? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some came totally ill-prepared. They were, they were skill deficit. And in many ways, we'd say, look, at, take a term off or take a reduced course load and really come back with some of these skills. Like with um, communication, like written communication written. skills? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and in more recent years, it was interesting, uh, even at, at the point where we have very good, uh, where we had Word and, and, and JAWS, uh, there was a political science professor who came to me and said, look, so-and-so is very articulate verbally, but when it comes to getting them to write, they don't want to write. And in order for them to even consider graduate school, they're going to have to learn how to write, and they're going to have to learn to write according to certain styles, like APA or whatever. Uh, you know. And ultimately, uh, this professor took this student under her wing and really said, uh, you know, you've got to get this sorted out. And eventually the student did and actually went on to law school. But yes, in general terms, a lot of students were falling short. They, and they were relying too much on the ability to They've been convinced that going voice only was the way to go. Mm -hmm. So spelling didn't happen. Formatting didn't happen. If you were to, if you were back in that situation now, Leo, either at university or high school students, what advice would you give to students going through their, their education now? Well, certainly I, I would hope that what, we're getting today is is the student who has been supported in recent years through with a teacher of the visually impaired who is layering in in stages what is needed as a student goes through school so that it's not just one big shock and throw it at them at once it's got to be an evolutionary development of, of a skill set that goes along with what's happening at the school level that the student is at. If you're in elementary school, what's your basic writing to start with? What do you do then? What do you write at that point? Well, okay, let's talk about how you would potentially use, you know, a Braille display or a computer or whatever. How would you read? How would you even check? And then you build on that. Is it a question of more resources or is it a question of more attention or both? It's a little of both, but I think there's got to be an understanding of how education really works for an individual. It's, it's developmental. You learn over time how to do things. You become comfortable over time. If you're a pitcher and you're learning how to throw a baseball, a certain type of pitch, over time in the bullpen and working with your coaches, you're going to get that muscle memory to throw that curve. I think the same thing applies to a lot of the same skills that you need. You know, reading. 
you got to get used to reading, like to reading. I want to thank you for coming on the program, Leo. It's been a great well, learning experience, really, for me in terms of that that dive into education and the success factors that are there. And, you know, they certainly showed up for you in terms of starting off at the Montreal Association for the Blind School, all the way to Loyola and into your master's and PhD, and then finally getting out and, and giving back in terms of your coordinating role at the university and some other things that you've done. Well, thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure to be here with you today and with you, Hannah. Thanks, Peter and Hannah, for bringing us that interview regarding the French side of our education system. It was very interesting. Have you got any final comments you would like to make on what you think we've learned from that? In my case, I was really unaware about the different schools for the blinds, the English-speaking school for the blind and the French-speaking school for the blind in Quebec before we did our research on this podcast. So I found that very interesting that they had schools for the blind, like that the French school for the blind started even before the Halifax school for the blind did. Yeah, I mean, we're going we're gonna to learn a lot on these podcasts. I mean, it's interesting to go back and talk about these schools because they had such deep histories going back well into the, um, the 1800s, if not earlier. Next episode, we're going to be hearing from students that attended Jericho Hill School for the Blind in Vancouver. So, tune in for that. Triple Vision is made possible by the generous support of T-Base Communications and the Alliance for Equality of Blind Canadians. Triple Vision is produced in collaboration with Accessible Media Inc., AMI-audio. Sam Robinson is the technical producer with the assistance of Jacob Schmansky and Andy Frank is the manager of AMI-audio. Finally, we would like to thank you for joining us on this journey. If you would like to reach out to the Triple Vision team with questions or comments, you can reach us by email at triplevision21 at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at triplevision21. Hi, I'm Red Sale, the host of My Life in Books on AMI-audio. Join me on Mondays at 1pm Eastern Time as I chat with a selection of renowned authors to read between the lines of their latest work, riffle through their back pages, and discover which books inspired them to pick up the pen. That's My Life in Books with me, Red Sale, Mondays at 1pm Eastern Time on AMI-audio or download the podcast from your favourite provider.